The Writer's Room, a 7th C podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc.com forward slash 7th C and use the code WRITER10 for 10% off your next site-wide purchase. Limit one per customer. Hello, friends. I'm sure Officer Durs welcomed you on the way in. And let's hear that door creak, Officer Cheshire. Yes. Officer Stewart and Tarkin are just checking to make sure you didn't bring any dairy. Standard protocol now. Officer Raven has your pillow nice and fluffed. Officer Covington has put your favorite stuffy in your seat. Officer Nightingale has your tea already right next to you. Officer Thrith has that hearth nice and toasty for us. Which means, Officer V, the book, if you please. Thank you. I don't have too many announcements today. However, as we near closer to the end of this miniseries, there being 13 episodes, I wanted to remind all of you that there is going to be a live listen on our Discord on August 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're not a part of our Discord, please do so. Right now we are called Hands of the Thorn, but our typical name is Hands of the Rose, and it's very easy to find. We have a little rose emoji next to it. Now, I do believe we're ready. While there was a lot of to-do over Captain Tarani and poor Astra, We need to check in with one other person. Someone we haven't seen for a while. So without further ado... Article 10. Knowing the Way. The first thing we see is darkness. And then, slowly, the screen begins to crackle. Blacks and whites and grays. There are colors that streak across every once in a while. Blue. Green. Red. And then the whole screen turns red. And these red static spheres begin to coalesce and take some shapes. And that's when the whispers begin to flood in. A day... I want you to describe what we see, and then bring it to Amboise. So as the camera properly fills in shapes, we actually see the very familiar image of two people seated at a table playing a game of chess. We can see them talking, but we can't make out what they're saying. The only sound that we really hear is the sound of the pieces hitting the board. The camera slowly zooms in, focusing on the table itself. At the dropping of one of the pieces, the image very quickly shifts to one of blurred outlines, almost as if everything is slightly ephemeral. The color is various shades of red. Every color of red that you would ever see, and even ones that, well, for lack of a better term, don't exist to the human eye. The camera slowly pans out. We are no longer in a room with people seated. 
It was still focusing on that chessboard. We see the pieces swap positions constantly. We see the position of the entire board itself move. We see stonework, tapestries, as we slowly pan out from a room in a castle, maybe a church. We pan through a doorway. We pan through a window. We can see part of the sky, but the light itself isn't coming from it. There's stars everywhere, there's suns everywhere, there's moons everywhere. But then at the same time, there's nothing there. We see what appears to be carts moving across the ground, but then at the same time, a series of stalls, very much reminiscent of a bazaar. We continue panning back. We start to see villages, huts. At certain moments, the huts, though, with their thatched roofs, they turn into full brick structures. But then at the same time, that brick structure is suddenly a water fountain. The speed at which it's panning increases, crosses over a lake, passes through a series of woods, more houses, broken ramaments, oddly enough, things that look like fireworks and musical instruments. The speed increases even further and faster. We find ourselves passing through yet another window, and another window, and another window. The rate at which everything is moving begins to slow. We find the screen pass through one more window, tinted a slightly different shade of red. The glass itself transfers to being not so much a glass window, but more of a lens. And not the lens of a structure, but the lens of an eye. And we slowly move back even farther. We begin to see eyelash, eyebrow, nose, face. Now we pull away and we see an Amboise standing there next to Atiyah. And the camera transitions to see from Amboise's point of view. There are shades that wander around. Not shadows. Shadows imply that there's light from somewhere. And while there are several suns and moons and stars in the same sky and not, there is no light here. These shades are the unfortunate souls that lost their way. It does not matter if they were once a sorcier who had no more marks. It doesn't matter if they were a peasant that wandered into a blessure by accident or was led here on purpose and left behind. They're only shades now, a collection of memories and experiences long lost. And they stare at you, Amboise. They know you're there. And when they see that your eyes are open, they stop trying to coerce you with sweet words or menacing threats. They don't need to, because you're looking right back at them. And Tia looks up at you. How is it that you can walk the ways with eyes unclouded? Just because my eyes are open does not mean that they are not clouded. I see. It's this way. And she points in a direction. It could be north, it could be south. Directions are strange here. And so is in time. 
it eats away at you as quickly as seconds. You can feel each of them ticking. And in the same moment, you can also feel it dragging as though they are long, long hours, maybe days. Which is very odd, since he has time sense. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what time it is on the other side. You know within 30 seconds the time on the thorn or any of your marks. And this also holds true if your marks are in different places in the world and there are different time zones. But here, it's like an abstract concept. Now, Amboise, even though Tia is with you, you're not alone. And now I bring it to the rest of the crew. You're all going to play a part in this. Oh, it's scary here. It's very scary here. What I am giving you is an opportunity to help build some of Amboise's backstory with him. You all are going to be prominent figures that have helped Amboise throughout his lifetime. Because this is not the first time that Amboise has walked the ways with eyes open. Nor will it be the last. Ooh, Boise. As we head into the writer's room, because there's also going to be a very dangerous risk happening for a day, I want you to think about an NPC that you could play that is part of Amboise's backstory. And A, if you want to drop any context here. What type of context would you like? Probably if you actually had parents or not, if they still live, if you have any siblings, any important person that would have been a part of your life. So parents? No. There was a very prominent figure leading a church who found him when he was first brought around. So we've got a priest. There is his teacher at the school. Mm-hmm. And there is also his, I wouldn't really use the word rival, but his childhood antagonist at the school as well. Not quite a bully, but definitely tension. There is the commander of the ATC vessel that he was working on for a time. That's all I've got. Feel free to make anything else you want. Which I know is a dangerous thing to say. Automatically. You guys, this is an audio podcast, and I wish that sometimes we had video, but I'm going to try and describe to you the look that Angelica <laughs> just had. She is grinning with manic glee. I think she did some villain hand gesture. If she had a mustache, she would have curled it. Oh, I did forget one. There is the 200-something-plus Porte sorcerers that Ambrose has killed. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Buddy, you can't just say shit like that. Wow. Ooh. Wow, 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 You wow. can't okay. just wow. drop that? Correction. The 200-something-plus Porte Sorcerers that Amboss has corrected the mistakes of. Fuck, that's even better. Oh. <laughs> what a revision. I don't know if that makes it worse or better. Worse. If you want one more thing. Yes. Keep going. Don't stop. While he no longer is referred to as this, at one point he was called Terminus. Ooh. Yeah, that feels appropriate. Do with all of that what you will. Yes. Uh, all right. So, a day. Amboise is walking the ways with eyes wide open. The longer you keep your eyes open, the more ranks in sorcery you're going to lose. Now, normally, author's note, 
walking the ways with eyes wide open, grants the Porte Sorcerer corruption. However, because this is a game of heroes and I fully believe in the rule of cool, I decided to do it this way instead. Once you lose all your ranks in sorcery, then you will gain corruption. But for now, you have four ranks, which translates roughly to about 12 raises to do whatever it is that you need to do in here before you start to gain corruption. Now, another major consequence is that these shades will get bold. They will try to take things from you. And I'm not talking about physical accoutrement on your person. I'm talking your voice. I'm talking your memories. I'm talking bits of your soul. They will try to steal things that are intangible from you. And you cannot get them back, no matter how hard you try. That's fair. There is also another consequence of losing Tiamat in the ways. If they let go of your hand and touch something they're not supposed to, it could spell disaster. Tia is also an opportunity, as much as she is a consequence. She can aid you in your path as you walk. Throwing raises towards her will allow her to do that and give her agency in this moment. And you also have opportunities of the four other players who are going to be playing the other NPCs in the scene. I have five danger points. I'm going to convert four of those danger points to give each of you two raises to do with what you like. You can help, or you can hinder, or you can establish a fact, or you can tell me a secret. Something, anything, whatever you want to do with those two raises, they're yours. So, how is Boaz approaching this? Approach-wise, do you mean traits and skills? Yes, I do mean what trait and skill are you going to be using for this risk? Well, this is definitely a resolve situation, because... Ooh. I would say so. <laughs> And there's a weird part of me that wants to use empathy. Ooh. Since, from my understanding, the ways is technically made of memories, among other things. Yes. So being able to properly connect with, understand, read the, for lack of a better term, way that the ways is living could be useful. That is fantastic. I love that a lot. Take two for flair. Okay. How many hero points did you have written on your sheet? Did you save them from the last time? No, I should be at zero. All right. You refresh back to your normal, and I'm giving you two extra because I'm generous. Thank you. You're welcome. Check your advantages and your virtues and hubrises and your backgrounds to see if you can get anything else, including more hero points. Is he being stubborn? Because it feels like he's being stubborn. He feels like he's being real stubborn. He's not going to close his eyes until the very last minute. Well, that's a hero point then. Yeah, you can go ahead and take that. So you're up to four. That's the only notable thing. Okay. Zoe, could I activate my virtue? Ooh. Uh, for commanding, when you activate your virtue, the GM gives the hero point to all their heroes in the scene. I think there is a standing order between Angelica and Amboise that when magic shit gets real weird, he's in charge of it. Yeah, to take care of it. Yeah, because Angelica has this aversion to this life of legends and mythology. So it's very much like, I hired you to do this thing. It's not my thing. Who needs it? <laughs> I have a petty revenge story. I don't want to get involved in super magical issues. She may have forgotten that she gave him that standing order, 
But it maybe would make sense that that's why he agreed to take Tia through the ways in the first place. Go ahead and take a hero point Amboise from that. And everybody, as their personal characters, go ahead and take a hero point from Angelica. Because I'm not going to rob you of that. That'd be dumb. If any of the other players would like to spend a hero point to help Amboise give them three extra dice, now would be the time to do so. Do I still have the eight that I had left over from last session? What the f- (laughs) (laughs) Take six. All right, hold on, hold on. So he can only accept help once from one source. Oh, okay. Well, he can take one. Unless somebody has helping hand and gives him a bonus. Speaking of people who have helping hand, which allows them to (laughs) give bonuses to their friends without the cost of uh, hero points. What a coincidence. Do I hear Diego helping hand Iglesias knocking on the door? Yes. What attachment is that? That is a vantage literally called helping hand. Activate this advantage to assist an ally, giving them three bonus dice for a risk without spending a hero point. Yes, and then if he wanted to, he could spend a hero point and give you three extra dice. But somebody else is doing that. Angelica, is there a flashback scene? Yeah, I would love a flashback scene. It's soon after, or maybe even the day he signed on to be part of the crew. She calls him into her captain's quarters. Mr. Pendragon, I thought you should know. You have secured your position on this crew by the skin of your teeth. Your resume is, well, to be frank, not all that impressive. There's a lot of gaps in your history, sir. Would you have preferred a tabula rasa instead? No, I think I know what I'm paying for. I recognize those marks on your hands. Which ones? The ones of a well-injured sailor? The ones of a semi-competent swordfighter? The ones of a terrible chef? Or the ones of someone who messes with things that often should not be messed with? The ones which drew me to you in the first place. The ones I foresee us needing fairly often. What with where we are going and the work ahead of us. Well, if it is of any comfort, I probably should also let you know. I have a history of being an ender of things. I plan to end a lot of things. Welcome aboard the Thorn, Amboise Pendragon. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Take three extra dice from Angelica and take three extra dice from Diego. We are sitting at a cool 14. Woo, love that. All right. It's time to roll the bones. Please hold. Holding. In the meantime, while you're doing math and things, have you all come up with someone? I see three head nods and a fourth head nod. Great. Awesome. I will pan the camera over to you and you can describe them when we get back in the scene. All right, Aday, how many raises do you have? A respectable seven raises and one traitor. <gasps> a traitor die? Hooray! <laughs> I'll buy it. It seemed fitting. I'm back to two danger points, everybody. Love it. And we've got seven raises on top of the 12 given to you through your ranks in sorcery. That's 19 raises. That has beaten Angelica. But it might not be enough. It may not be enough. We'll see. We shall see. Amboise... Tia is pulling you along, bringing you down 
what I would call an amalgamous deer path of sorts. It's like a single cobblestone appears, and then a piece of mosaic tile, and then a pad of dirt, and then grass. Something entirely mechanical, like a cog. Stars. It changes every time you go to step on it. But as you're walking, one of the shades crosses your path and stops you. Now, you can't go around. There really is no around. You could get lost very easily. It's why you walk your certain paths. You've made them safe. You can't go around this shade. And they stand before you. Well, this shade is made of shadow. So very dark and gray. Wispy around the edges and wispy up top. And as the edges flit in and out of existence, you don't see eyes, but you feel them. Ooh, delightful. Now you've got two raises. Are you a benevolent shade? Are you a malevolent shade? This seemingly ambivalent shade just stands in the way and observes. Amboise, there's a shade in your way, and it doesn't appear to be moving anytime soon. You will walk right up to the shade, roughly a foot and a half away. Place himself between the shade and Tia. Pardon. The shade shrinks down a little, almost bending at the halfway mark. Amboise will reach into his pocket and take out a bit of a cake, definitely cooked with blood at some point, and extend a hand with the bit of cake in it. The shade extends a hand below Amboise's, as if outstretched. He will simply turn his hand over, making sure that what is there hopefully drops into the shade's hand. It may pass through. Who knows? As the cake piece falls, it slows down and falls slower and slower until it hits the shade and gets darker until it fades out of existence and slowly slides to the right out of the way. He will continue walking, making sure that at that point Tia is in front of him. He will at one point turn back to the shade, bow to it, and then continue on his way. And as you turn forward to begin walking again after bowing a dark streak dashes from where the shade was standing in front of your path and beyond as if clearing a path and I will spend the two raises to assist a day to spend a raise to pay the toll absolutely and also spend two as one of your ranks dwindles as that rank dwindles. We see that Amboise's hair, the part of it that is at his scalp, slowly becomes akin to bamboo or a scale or shell of some sort. One would almost think it's hollow. 
Oh my god. Some people might know the reference, some people might not. Who knows? I get the reference and I fucking love, I'm delighted. <laughs> so you're now down from 19 to 16. Yep. You continue walking the path. Now there was a split, and normally that split causes you problems. But because you've paid the toll, the shade has cleared the way. There's nothing. And when I mean there's nothing, there's a void. There's an empty space. And it's not filled with anything. If you walked in, you might disappear. But you know better. And more importantly, so does Tia. However, I'm spending a danger point here. Mm-hmm. Off in the field. Uh, every time I'm going to refer to the field, it's basically just off the beaten path. There is a figure standing there. Looks feminine, even from this distance. Long flowing hair, hourglass figure. Illuminated in light. A strange, warm, golden light. And you hear the whispers as a woman is calling to Tia. Sweetheart, come to me, darling. I've missed you so much. And Tia looks. Mother? Yes, it's me. Come here. And you feel Tia's grip start to slip as she is leaning heavily to walk towards her mother. So I'd like to spend a raise to tighten my grip on Tia's hand. Even for someone well beyond my own capabilities, it is amusing how easily you can be deceived by your own eyes. You can see her too, right? Do not go by what you see. Go by what you feel. Come on. You're going the wrong direction. Wise words, traveler. A figure approaches behind the two of them. Not quickly or slowly, just instantly matching their pace. They have a hood up and long, dark blue hair that twinkles with little starlight points within it spills out of this hood that shades the rest of their face. The rest of their clothes are very drab and unassuming. It's been a while since you walked with your eyes open. It has, and I would very much like it to be even longer of a while next time. You've brought another lost thing here. And that is why, just like me, she is simply a traveler, a visitor. We are not meant to stay here. She doesn't belong in this way. Like all lost things, you should eventually be found. <laughs> not all that wanders is lost. <laughs> Certainly not. By chance are you going our way? I'll walk with you for a while. But as you said, you can't always trust your eyes. The figure takes a step, and you keep walking, and they're not beside you anymore. I'm only spending one raise right now. Okay. And Boaz, you've met this being before. 
it's very likely they helped you the first time or one of the first times that you walked here with your eyes open. There is talk in the Crescent Empire of a lost angel. Her name is Hedea. No one knows if she's real or if she's ever been real. But you've met her, Amboise. Are you introducing the 13th Asher? Fucking take the zero point while you're at it! <laughs> oh, like you, I love shit. it! Holy shit! Ooh-wee. Gosh, I wonder what she'd be doing in the ways. How strange, an angel with starlight motif. How weird, an angel with star... <laughs> You're welcome. I love you. Okay, I love you. Let's <laughs> say so you brought this upon yourself. Anyway, Amboise, take two more from your rank pool of 12. Okay, so we are now down to 13 raises. And we see his hair continues to have that same odd segmentation begin to happen. At this point, it's progressed down roughly a third of his hair. You continue walking, and as you do, the fields are changing rapidly. So rapidly that, to you, it's best not to look at them, especially if one gets motion sickness. But there is an opportunity here. As you're passing by, there are two people talking. Other memories, perhaps, or an image of an event past. But as you're passing by, you can hear them, and they are speaking in Old Thayan, but also the native languages they are speaking are in a lower tone, almost in the background of their voice. And there are other languages out in the vast void that are reciting it to you. You're well-versed in filtering all of that out just to hear the conversation. I'm telling you, we're very close. All we have to do is just get past this one obstacle. It's already taken most of the ATC soldiers. There's nothing that we can do about it. We should just cut our losses and leave. I have come so very close. I can almost practically taste the sword. I know it's here. Estevan, I'm not sure if we can reach it. My boy! That's my boy! That is where you are wrong. You are the one that brought it out here, and you are the one that lost it. I am the one that is going to recover it. You're either with me, or I'm leaving you at the dock. All right, Estefan, I will go with you. But mark my words, this is not going to end pretty. Oh, I don't expect it to. Why do you think I'm in the Explorer Society? That conversation kind of dissolves into the background. If you would like to spend a few raises here, I can tell you where this conversation is being held, and what they are going to face. So here's the thing. On the one hand, I am absolutely tempted. But on the other hand, Amboise knows that he's on a clock. And he also knows that he is in a situation where if he falters, it could be terrible for not just him, but everyone and everything. So he's going to keep moving. Pass by that opportunity. And you keep walking. Take another raise from your rank pool. Like many things in the ways, Amboise, you hear their approach before you see them. It's this immaculate click and clack of well-sculpted heels on a tiled floor. And when this whispery, shadowy figure comes up beside you, they don't even deign to look down at you before speaking. Extra credit or detention, sans su. Oh shit! 
Pierre Valentine de Blanche has appeared beside you. What a name! Oh! That is so good. Hot dang. I didn't think of a name. (laughs) (laughs) They are tall, taller than you, and that is in no small part due to their heels. They are dark-skinned. Their hair is a long curtain of shiny black, and they don't carry a bag with them the way you probably do. In fact, they only carry a single leather-bound notebook and hold it in a way that shows off the very peculiar item they use to draw blood. The thing this young sorcier-in-training wields is an ornate ring. It's a family heirloom with a spring-loaded needle in it, once an assassin's tool, now a mark of pride for the family. The de Blanche lineage is well-known, much coveted and equally feared, and proud of their porte status. So proud, in fact, that the dot tattoos on their fingers are not a secretive, subtle black the way many porte sorciers are, but a brilliant white against dark skin instead. Oh, fuck. And I'm going to spend a raise to cause the environment to change quite suddenly. Oh, shit. In a moment, you're no longer walking through a hazy, ever-shifting field, but an ever-shifting hallway that might be the school, you're pretty sure. Some of the patterns on the tiles and the stained glass seem familiar, but for the life of you, everything is so big and new, and you don't know this wing of the school, and this person was supposed to lead you through the halls and tell you which classrooms you were to go to, but they clearly don't seem to have any time for you. And the thing they say, the thing they call you, Sansu, it means leech. It is what the noble children who attend this school sometimes call the orphans that are brought here. They see them as a drain on the resources, and a drain on good blood. Holy shit, dude. Damn. Take a hero point. <laughs> also, Durs, if I didn't give you a hero point, please take one. For the record, that wasn't heroic at all. That was really mean. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-hero point. It is also insanely classist, so, you know, uh, stop me if it's getting too intense. No, no, that, that's origin story stuff right there. That's quality. That's the hot tea. I'm here for, baby. The spiciest. So anyway... I think the challenge that has befallen you is that you are now indoors, question mark? And you don't know which way is which. And this person, or rather, the memory of this person might? But they're not particularly inclined to give you the time of day. Tia is actually extremely confused. She did know the path to where she was leading you, but all of a sudden, with this change of scenery, she looks as lost as a child and looks up at you with concern in her eyes, leans against you a little bit closer. There's nothing to worry about, Tia. Just a moment. Are you lost again, Sansu? <sighs> Mizumi, I really could use your help. Oui, I do not doubt it. You are a legacy. You have lineage, you have heritage, you have potential. You have everything going right for you in your life. And I am but a simple leech on the world. They are walking ahead of you. Everything you're saying is something they already know. Ambrose is going to begin walking with Tia to catch up with them. Tia does her best with her little legs. Not quite actually catching up with them, staying a little ways behind. And yet, with all that glorious lineage, does it bother you at all 
the very world rejects your existence. They pause. That the world knows how you spoil its gifts. Their mouth falls open, utterly shocked. That the world knows that you will one day die alone in the walkway itself. (gasps) There is a flash as a white dotted thumb twitches over the trigger on the heirloom ring. The ring, a ruby studded butterfly, pops out this curving needle from the insect's metal proboscis. In one fluid motion, this deeply insulted young man raises their hand and strikes Amboise across the face with a backhanded slap. The needle of the ring slices his cheek as they do this, instantly splattering blood across the shifting tiles of the school. There is a brief moment which feels longer than it actually is. It passes long enough that we wonder if the slap even registered. Holy shit. And as we see blood slowly drip from the wound on Amboise's face, he nonchalantly lifts his face up into the side a little bit, providing a better striking surface. Quoi? They look at him, they look at the blood staining the ring, and and in utter disbelief, raise their hand to slap him again, blustering, trying to figure out why the first slap just, just didn't take for some reason. I think at that moment, another figure approaches. This tall, thin woman walks up in a plain but perfectly starched dress. Her hair's pulled back in a severe, slicked-back bun. This woman looks like she's never smiled once in her life. This is Madame Duchesne. A professor. I do not know if you heard this underclassman insulting me when I was simply trying to remind him that he is lost and he does not belong. Not in this part of the school, at least. Madame, I do not know if you remember that we are the best of the best of the best and that we must take pride in ourselves. Some of us more than others. Some of us more than others. She's just staring daggers at, like, back and forth between both boys. Are you quite done, garçons? Uh, well, I would be had I been able to find my classes properly. And where are you supposed to be going? That is a good question. One who the person with my itinerary for this place should know. And looks over. Oh, désolé, Sansu. It appears you have spilled something across it. And they hand your schedule back to you, and it is soaked in red paint. One more raise for a uh, delicious soaked itinerary. Uh, I guess I don't need this. And Ambrose is going to eat his itinerary. Putain de merde. What the fuck? Pierre de Blanche is so, like, absolutely weirded out by this display of raw power. Can I use a raise for something? Please. (laughs) Just to invoke a sense of, while he may not be lineage or legacy or have a proper bloodline, there is something very abnormal about this person. Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. I like that a lot. De Blanche takes a couple of steps backwards and does just stumble on the height of their heels for a moment. What are you? Someone clearly with a lot to learn from you at some point. Maybe not today, but one day. Perhaps. Don't they live, Sansu, in your dreams? And they walk off. (laughs) 
love it. I apologize, Professor. It seems I have uh, lost my itinerary <sighs> yet again. So irresponsible. And she'll pull out from her bag that she's got, she'll pull out another itinerary and hand it to Amboise. Very much appreciated. She's not happy about it. She's not trying to be helpful. She's trying to get rid of you. She's so serious, so annoyed, like this is the most inconvenient thing she could possibly have to do. And she holds it up to him. Get to class, Monsieur Pendragon. And out of my sight. He will bow, and he will escort to you and get moving. She gives a curt little nod and walks away. And I will spend one raise to point Amboise in the correct direction. I like to think that when she points, the hallway stops spinning and twirling and kind of opens up a little bit and forms a clear pathway. Yes, I love that. Amboise, I'm going to need you to take three from the rank pool. Yep, down to eight. And as they're walking, he leans down to Tia. You will see that I have learned a long time ago that in this place, pride gets you nowhere. Kindness gets you nowhere. Intent gets you everywhere. And sometimes you have to swallow your pride, whether it be metaphorical or literal. I'm going to spend a raise here as Tia and take that advice. Tia's demeanor kind of shifts from that lost child the one that's been kind of leading the way and getting distracted and a lot of human qualities. And that kind of washes away. You're walking with a young woman in the barest sense now, as all of the humanity has drained out of her. It is our intention to help Mother in any way we can. Even at the cost of ourselves. And as they continue to walk, a very similar thing happens to Amboise, in which his hair is fully that segmentation. His eyes are, for lack of a better term, pure red, almost as if he had red scleral lenses. Are your eyes beginning to leak blood? Not quite yet, but very soon. Good to know. As a note... Hmm. Are the actual losses in Sorcier, or are they losses of the points that were given for Sorcier? You still have your actual magic. Okay. You have lost the ability to pull or recall objects. The last one you lose is being able to walk out of the ways. That's what I was paying attention to, because that's the point that we're almost at. And also, if I remember correctly, you have four dramatic wounds, and you have hard to kill. Yep. Okay. This has happened to you before when you've spent a long time walking. You're feeling not lethargic, not lazy, but a sense of calm, as though your body is moving, but there's no resistance. Your joints are fluid. Your movements are easy. And you realize that the wounds on your hand, the ones that you use to not only ferry Paco over and then open the way to Tia, have healed. You are now down to one dramatic wound. Okay. I'm going to spend a danger point here. The way cuts off. The path 
that used to be there is no longer. There is just a chasm in between you and where you need to go. In that chasm, time is accelerating and reversing. Mountains rise up and then crumble away. Buildings erupt like daisies out of the ground and then dissolve into water. The sea churns and roils and then it turns into lava and then it turns into nothing. Empty space. It's going to take three raises to cross it safely and then another raise to make sure Tia crosses safely too. Huh. So at this point, Ambrose is going to close his eyes and he's going to trust in Tia leading the way and he will spend those four raises. All right. I'm not going to tax you anything from your ranks. Four steps ahead. Stop. Two to the left. Stop. Walk forward. Run. Jump. We're across. His eyes remain closed, but he smiles. We will make a guide out of you yet. We want to go back to sleep. You can sleep. Lindsay's job is done. When Mother is healed, we can rest. Now, because you've closed your eyes, you can hear the whispers of the shades again as they pull closer. You can feel the spider web trail across your eyes, and it's going to take, I'm going to say, another two raises to pass by them because there are hundreds of them. You can feel them up against your shoulders as if you're trying to push through a crowd. Yeah, and we spend those two raises as... Oddly enough, it calms him. It grounds him. That's not creepy at all. We are at two, but also have six hero points. Oh boy. Finally, Tia stops walking. We're here. The air here is dead. What I mean by that is there are no whispers. There is no shifting. There's no sound. And Tia tugs on your fingers. Terminus, we need your eyes. Is that in the literal or the metaphorical sense? Because I much prefer them being in my head. You need to see this. Well, let it never be said that I wasn't a visionary. And do you open your eyes? Yep. What greets you is the carcass of something old, something... Definitely of this world, but part of it is here in the ways. You can see bones jutting out of the ground, great rib bones that create a cage. You see the discs of a neck or a spine and the massive skull of something that you can only vaguely recognize as human. And this is exactly why I do not dream. He takes a moment and stretches. Tia does not release your hand, but she is antsy. She is showing signs that she very much wants to move closer. Now, I said that I would be your eyes, or rather you requested that I be your eyes and help you see. What more is it that you need? We need you to end this. You say that as if I understand what that actually means, which I do not. When you walk the way... 
You cut mother, but someone was careless. Pleasures, of course. For every single one of them that I try to take down, another two pop up in their place, opening more and more. If left to continue, mother will die. Oh, it won't be continuing. Then let us end this. She leads you to the throat of this great being, and you can see the light coming from the other side. There is a slit right across. A very, very thin slit. It is nothing like the doors that you've seen before, which are wide open and easy for you to maneuver in. It is a thin line, like a garret, and it is actively bleeding. And Tia points. I'm going to need you to take a raise with your eyes open. Yep, down to one. A day. Mm-hmm. It's going to take two raises to close this. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Noted. I still have a raise. Can I give it to Amboise somehow? Can I make an odd request? You can veto this entirely, Brittany. Can the raise be knowledge from Dala on proper medical techniques for dealing with, well, things like this? Yes, absolutely. Why would I ever say no to oh that? Oh my fuck. <laughs> is that a story step? I fu- Is that a goal being achieved right now for Dala? I think it is. Holy shit. Let me see that scene play out. The world around behind Amboise kind of shifts just enough to give us an image of that event. And for whatever reason, it's clear as day. There is no shadow. There is no shade. There's no obscurity. It is as if Dala is standing right there with you. Ooh. Have an idea. Amboise is immediately brought back to this time where somebody got like stabbed or slashed or something in a fight, probably in the neck area, and Dala asked Amboise for help because she knew that he has no problems with blood. And so he was the first person of like, this is really bad. I need someone who's not going to get squeamish. Amboise is my right hand on this. Fucking hold the bandages until I can like stitch this up. Oh God. That's so good. Barking orders, handing him things, telling people to get out if they're too squeamish and are going to freak out. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. It's Wesley. (gasps) You can't just say things. Natalie, you can't just fucking say that. You can't just say that (laughs) about my boy. At least it's a flashback, so we know he's okay. He's okay, it's a flashback. Could I activate my virtue? Oh my god, what is your virtue? Comforting. <gasps> so this is more of a story thing than a actual mechanic thing. Uh-huh. Activate your virtue to cancel the effects of fear on you and your friends, thus allowing them to properly concentrate on the situation and letting Wesley properly be a big boy. I can handle this. Because Wesley's going to try and keep talking the whole time and tell everyone that he's okay while also gurgling up his own blood. And so Amboise needs to calm him down and get him to stop fucking talking. Oh my god, because he's scared. He's so scared that his last words are going to be something terrible. They're going to be so stupid. (laughs) So he's just spewing nonsense, trying to get his last words to be whatever cool thing he could think of. He's making up words because he wants to be remembered as the person that invented a word. (laughs) Swifty, is that anything? 
nothing. Oh, <laughs> Nobody God. write this down. Get out. Get more bandages. Oh, the allegories that this go. Oh, Lord. It's the death of Twitter without being the death of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, too meta. My bad. I apologize. Except <laughs> Wesley is also not spewing alt-right nonsense. Just nonsense. <laughs> Sweet twig boy. Oh my god, so yeah, that's what it is. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if we even want to come up with that, but Wesley got slashed in the throat. Some cable line, some new kind of rigging to hold the cannons, just... Or a kraken, sea monster, you know, whatever. It could be anything. Literally be anything. Maybe Amboise doesn't remember because it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what happened. And we don't talk about it anymore. That scene plays out behind you, Amboise, as... Dalla's recommendations and her expert care under duress flood into your memory. And then that image is gone, leaving you with Tia and the bleeding slit of this mother. Rolls up his sleeves. Do me a favor. Yes? Do not touch anything unless it becomes explicitly necessary. As you say. And do me one more favor. Remember this. We will not forget. And Amboise gets to work. Amboise, Mm -hmm. as you're working, you realize that it is a very precise cut. This wasn't just made to walk. This wasn't the aftermath of some accident. This was intentional. Someone came in on this side and opened this way and didn't leave through it. They specifically made this cut to hurt, to maim. So what you're telling me, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, someone with pure malice fucked around. You are 100% correct gonna find out <laughs> you realize halfway through that you can't finish it mm. this cut is too good you find yourself lost again traveler <sighs> not lost simply ill prepared and in need of assistance what you need you have with you You're just not seeing it. Adjust your perspective. And she will guide your hand with one of hers. Another comes and adjusts the angle of your face. Multiple sets of hands emerge from her cloak and gently adjust your stance, your posture, your breathing. She guides you in this final mending of this tear. See? Not so hard, is it? Caring for broken things. And oddly enough, he will not turn, not look. He will not even say anything. But he gives off a a weird sense of understanding that can't really be verbalized. Tick-tock, traveler. Send this one home. You both 
should be done here. And he's going to once again reach into his pocket, pulls out the equivalent of a sweet cake, and places it behind him. Ooh. You feel her hands lift away from where they were resting on or supporting you, but one hand reaches out a final time and pushes you forward to get you moving again. Back on the path, I'll be seeing you, traveler. Oh, I love this. Amboise, I'm going to spend another raise as Tia. And she's going to point at a door that's already open. One of yours. And you'll notice that there's a strange liquid around it. Almost as if wherever it was once, it was ripped and moved to be in front of you. Uh, what did I tell you about touching the doors? And, mm. We didn't technically touch it. And she cracks that weird, strange smile of hers. And he will crack a grin in return. Thank you. Allons-y. And the camera pans over to the door as you grab the handle, jiggle it twice, and it opens. And you're back on the thorn. And he spits up a little bit of blood. And as the camera lingers in the ways and pulls back from the massive carcass of Mother, we see that figure again. Within the hooded shadow cast over this figure's face, we see the bright flash of a smile amongst pinpricks of starlight, her many hands steepling and steepling and steepling. Weary is the traveler who walks these ways, but wearier still the path ahead. And blue smoke swirls at their feet, surrounds them, and as it reaches its zenith, vanishes, leaving nothing but the deep crimson red of the ways. And the edges of the camera begin to creep black until it finally dissolves to nothing. Hi there, friends. You know the drill. Refill what you gotta refill, empty what you gotta empty, and take a break with us while we tell you about the wonderful people who were kind enough to sponsor us. We here at the Writer's Room are extremely fond of immersion, and the Crafty Gamer helps us do that with their line of soy-based candles called Aromas of Adventure. They are designed to enhance immersion through scent, to bring you to your favorite tavern, or to your local bakery, or perhaps a dragon's den. Wherever it is that you're going in your game, they are sure to have one most befitting the setting. If you're in the market for Aromas of Adventure and other tabletop-inspired merchandise, visit thecraftygamer.com. And if you use the code WRITERSROOM, all capitals, no spaces, you'll get 10% off your next purchase. So why not get immersed? And while we're on the topic of immersion, Many Worlds Tavern is also a delightful way to really get you in the game. They are an online coffee company that provides coffee for your game night and tea for your tabletop. All of us right now are extremely fond of Sacred Spring, 
which is one of their uncaffeinated spiced teas. With notes of spices and dark juicy fruit, Sacred Spring tastes like a mulled wine. It reminds me of falling leaves and cozy sweaters by the fireside. And their normal line of tea and coffee is not the only thing. They also have a flagship product called Treasured Realm. On the first of every month, they release a limited edition batch of coffee, which only a thousand bags are ever made. And every order comes with a bunch of goodies. A numbered card, a limited edition sticker, a D&D 5e magic item, and a set of dice. So, if you're in the market for more immersion and to stay hydrated, go to manyworldstavern.com. And the first 100 friends to use the code WRITERS10, all capitals, one zero, at checkout will receive 10% off your order. And the other reason we love Many Worlds is because they give back to the community. Every dollar of each bag purchased is donated to gaming-related nonprofits. Now, we here at the Writers' Room are big supporters of real art by real people in all of their creatively expressive forms. If you're members on our Discord and active on our socials, you will have seen all the incredible illustrations made by the lovely and talented Emery Chelsberg, who voices Dr. Mallory McCoy on the show. We have official Fate of the Thorn masterpieces, and if you head over to his gallery using the link in our description, you can purchase those fine prints for yourself. And know that 100% of those proceeds go directly to him. And keep a weather eye out on the horizon for more gorgeous art as we continue to sail along. And last, but certainly not least, we'll take this moment to shout out our Kofi officers. Raven, V, Nightingale, Covington, Stuart, Tarkin, Cheshire, Thrith, and Durs. Thank you so much for helping us keep this crazy ship afloat. If you would like to join the ranks of these fine folks, as well as myself in the writer's room at the top of each episode, sign up to be a part of our Kofi crew. Every donation you make directly funds the podcast, so we can continue to make more of the pirate content you crave and love. Whew. Thanks for sticking it out with us and taking a break. And remember, all of the links to our sponsors, as well as the respective discount codes for them, are in the description of this article. Now, let's get back to the story, shall we? Hey, crew of the thorn. You hear the telltale sound of the world screaming. When Dala hears the door open, she comes to meet Amboise to help him patch up his hand or anything that is like a routine that she has anytime she hears the screaming she like grabs some bandages and just goes right over has she ever seen Amboise's eyes look weird this is probably the first time he's done that particular thing since joining the crew okay so that's new has she ever seen the hair thing that's also connected to the eyes okay so that's all new so she well, physically is fine though with the exception of the bleeding eyes Dala doesn't know that when she first <laughs> sees him come out of the door she's like oh god she comes out of her chambers with like a little bandage sees Amboise and stops and then turns around and goes back into her room and gets more stuff and comes back out to him oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh oh yeah T is there too 
Dala doesn't baby Amwaz. I think she like hands him the bandages and helps him, but like hands him one is like, all right, wipe your face. You've got blood on it. Like, let me patch up your hand. Doesn't comment on the hair. I feel like you've gotten the journal and there's like a check mark. Every time there's a new page, there's just like a checkbox of like, did he look like this today? She's got notes. <laughs> We're going to refer back to our notes later and see how often this happens. One's a coincidence, two's a pattern. I bet Coco would know. Oh, Coco would know. Coco knows a lot of things, guys. Hey, Dala. There's a, a light coughing behind you as Paco stirs. Dala drops whatever she is doing with Amboss, like, you can handle this, and immediately turns around and, like, kind of kneels down to be close to him to check on him. She's, like, dabbing his forehead and trying to just, like... But he comes to and he opens his eyes and he sees you. Uh, uh, duh. Morning. Uh, uh, good morning. Uh, tell me, uh, is everybody all right? Everybody's okay. Diego? Mm-hmm. Tulio? Mm-hmm. Alejandro? Enrique. Mm-hmm. And Angelica. Mm-hmm. Della's gonna turn to Amboise and kind of gesture to the door of like, can you can you go get everybody? Let people know he's awake. It's on the move. Paco's hand reaches out and grabs yours, Amboise. Hermano, don't go. Please. I have to tell you something. Leans in close. Thank you for all that you do. My brothers and I, we were really grateful for you. If it wasn't for you, I I, I think I would be dead. I remember, I, I remember waking up briefly and there was just darkness and the voices and cold. But I remember, I remember you. Thank you. You should know by now. You never have to thank me for anything. And he looks at Dala. He's beginning to sweat profusely again, and his breath is getting more haggard. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to have made you worry. I saw the look on your face when I came in. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. You never have to apologize to me either. And she's going to continue to wipe the sweat off of his face and kind of check his pulse. And He definitely has an accelerated pulse. He unfortunately doesn't have the energy to keep it up. Repeatedly says, Lo siento. Luciento, and just kind of passes out with eyes open, still lightly holding on to Amboise's hand. Poor guy. She's gonna, like, close his eyes so he can get some rest. Everybody, Paco's gonna be okay. Paco's gonna be okay. He just needs to sleep. Good job, Dala. Good job. It's my job. I'm just doing my best. Maybe we should wait to tell the others and let Paco get a little more sleep. They're very excitable. I think we're going to shift the camera over to the doctor's lab as they are committing the most piratiest of pirates things. Forgery. They've got the letter of Mark. They've cut several pieces of paper because, you know, they're going to mess up a couple times to size. And they've got a uh, sheet of glass with several candles going behind it. And they're using it to kind of like trace the formatting and some of the handwriting. 
so they don't have to try and just freehand a very important letter. They're tracing some of the fancier letters and lining up the two papers next to each other and checking in with Coco, trying to get Coco used to being back in their head alive again, just by checking in with their eyes every now and then. Does that signature look off? I mean, from my layman's terms, it does look incorrect. Shit, well, alright, I'll redo it. No, you don't have to redo it. Just take the quill of the pen, tap it, just so a little bit more ink flows out of it. That will fix that loop. There, like that. Alright, I'll take your word for it. By the time they're done, they have not one letter of Mark completed, but three. Ooh, okay, okay. The names in question have been left blank. The first one they've altered slightly to specifically protect the named individual from prosecution by the Inquisition in the Vatican Church. And it is signed for an Evelyn Melora McCoy. And they fold that up as the other letter was folded up and set that one aside. And now they have the other two. But we have to put Dala's name on there, right? Oh, of course. Does she have a middle name? Can you tell me? I need it to look really official. Coco pauses. No. No middle name? That, that, that's fine. It's not... Mallory, it's not that she doesn't have a middle name. It's that I respected her enough not to invade her mind. I do not know her middle name. You afforded her that respect, but you didn't afford it to me when we first met. I wasn't dying when we first met. Fair enough. I suppose I could ask her? The idea looks haunting to them. I think you should. Alright, uh, we'll leave that one blank for now, and then we've got this one. It has to be Amboise. Do you really think Amboise cares about the politics of the world? No, but I think if we're going to have anyone on our side, it's the one with the sword that can, you know. Listen, he seemed pretty interested in getting that Draconize and weapon. If he gets his hand on it, I'd rather he be on our side than anyone else's. Mallory, you do realize that that sounds insane. What do you mean? I think that's perfectly logical. You're a Sanderis user now. He doesn't know that. I'm a manifested demon, Mallory. He doesn't know that. The sword will. Shit. But won't it, like, glow around him too, then? No. Fuck. I thought it was only for, like, abominations and shit. No, it is for anything that is of great magical significance. Perhaps a porte sorcerer with greater power might. And not that I'm discounting Amboise's skill. But the moment that he comes within 30 feet of you, the sword is going to tell him that there is something he needs to slay. You could have told me that before I told him that Estevan was finding it. You didn't ask. You- I don't give information for free. Not even to save your own damn skin. Huh. I don't have any skin to save. Will the sword glow in the Aisha's presence? No. Fuck. I thought you enjoyed a challenge. I do. Mm. Perhaps if you talked to Amboise first? I know the notion is lost on you. Talk to him about what exactly? Just talk to him. I mean, sure, but I don't see how that makes our situation any easier. 
If anything, we should be stopping him from getting the weapon. You're stuck in that box again, Mallory. I need you to think outside of it for once. I know that your social skills are not on par. But perhaps, if you appeal to their better natures, you may find what you're looking for. I don't know if he'd be as kind as Dala. Kindness doesn't matter. Malice doesn't matter. Intent matters. All right. Fine, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him, I suppose. I mean, he's not even back yet. I may not even get a chance to talk to him again. Mallory, you hear the telltale scream of the world. Fuck. Ah. Almost as if you summoned him. Get back in your coconut. Touchy. And there's a slight little, like, drag of perhaps fingers across your face as they wisp away into the coconut again. Mallory stows the unfinished letters of Mark and goes to see Amboise. They catch him as he's leaving Dala's office, and they're screwing up some sort of courage to broach the topic of the sword and things they were talking about with Coco. Amboise, you're back. You're... Oh, whoa. You're, um... That's new. That's, um... That's fascinating, even. Uh, are you hurt? Mallory, you may need to, uh, elaborate a bit. I, I've i seen Dala, kind of, so hurt is its own thing. I can't imagine she would know how to, um, operate on something like this, uh, if it's, if it's something even in need of fixing. Is this... Something like what? Uh, like, like this, your, um, your hair, your, your eyes, this is, well, well, I've never seen anything quite like this, and... Uh, you know, I've seen quite a lot. How did this happen? Is this normal for Porte Sorciers? I... I apologize. I am not really following what you mean. Well, then, I suppose the better question is, is this normal for you? <laughs> Mallory, there's something for all of your intelligence that I really do wish that you would remember. What is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. <laughs> I... I suppose you're right. That is fascinating. I, I... I have a million questions, but I, I suppose we're coming up on Numa soon. You just seem... Well, you're, you're, you're so at ease. You see something flicker behind their bangs as they talk. And as Mallory quickly turns their head away for a moment, I think Amboise gets a flash of two different irises watching them from the shadows of the hair. This might be a bit... Bold of me to ask, but just so we're even a little bit on the same page. And was what are you? This is the second time you've heard this question today. When the shadow of Pierre de Blanche asked this in the ways, they meant it as a statement, a statement of insult. You, Amboise, are different. You are not like me. When Mallory asks it, there is a gleam in their tone, a, a yearning almost. They are holding up a pane of glass and hoping to see some semblance of their reflection in you. I am simply a slightly blo- uh, Okay, more than slightly bloody Porte Sorcerer. Realizing that there is a very, very long day ahead of us. Do you need anything? Anything else at all before we make our way into the ruins of ancient temples and things? I am fairly certain that 
I have exercised enough of my demons today. <laughs> Mallory, Coco takes a sudden inhale of breath as though he has been surprised. And there's a flash of silver as Tia finally steps out from behind Amboise and leans heavily against his side, her eyes closed in sleep. Mallory jumps a bit. I think they almost forgot Tia was there, what with the advent of Amboise looking new and weird and fascinating. And they nod. Well, I won't keep you any longer. If you needed anything, let me know. I might, Amboise. I, I might need just that. This is what we do. Thank you. I'll see you when we make landfall. And they turn and leave. The camera follows Mallory down the hall and then sidesteps up the stairs to the top decks and across the planks over to the captain's quarters where we find Diego and Angelica. So, I defer to you in such matters, but uh, this is a good haul. Please tell me you are not thinking of bribing the King of Castile, Primo. It is a good place to start. Come in as a nobleman instead of a monster hunter. Let's stop the world from ending first. Then we can decide whether to appear in Castile as monsters or something a bit more palatable. See, see. We do need to get more leather armor and more bucklers. I want to make sure we are more prepared. There's a lot of gunfire and swords going about, so need to make sure all of our people are protected. Her expression darkens, but she pats his hand, I think in a very uncaptainly sort of gesture. This is your cousin speaking to you now. Of course. We will do everything we can to keep everyone safe. But where we are going next... I don't know what to prepare for. I'm quite literally going to be out of my element. Well then, stay close by me. I will follow you till you do not need me anymore. But the second you don't need me, I'm going back to Liliana. If it were up to me, I would have you fighting by my side always, Primo. Likewise, I would take you from your revenge path of sinking ATC ships and and get ourselves a vineyard, get ourselves some merchant ships, get a nice beach house. (laughs) That sounds so boring. You'll get there one day. Maybe. You can only have so much excitement. You can only roll the bones so often. Like I said, let's save the world first, I guess. Is that what we're doing here? It seems so strange that it should be us. And she gestures in the air, running her hand across many, many invisible threads. Sometimes I can't even tell what we're being pulled towards. Angelica, you know I don't understand your magic. But I trust you. Angelica gets a little misty-eyed and is instantly giving Diego a hug. Gracias, hermano. Diego softly pats the top of her head. Angelica, you have a good heart. It's not the weakness you think it is. You'll figure this mess out. Just make sure you point me in the direction I need to stab. I'm pretty sure we're going to be surrounded. Anywhere you point, there will be someone you should stab. 
Good, good. I'm getting tired of hunting. She'll roll up whatever maps she was looking at in order to figure out our best path towards the lost city. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going. So she gets up and heads out of her quarters. As you head out, you see Saya. And she catches your eye and walks over to you. Well, we managed to get what we could. I'll speak to Amboise about this salvage later. But I wanted to talk to you. I'm all ears. I'm going to finish this whole business with Diamat. Yes, we are. I need you to stay here. What? To look after things. Uh, what, the detritus that's washing up against our hull? <sighs> Just this once, I think it would be better if you stay. Angelica, I'm not going to leave you behind on this. We're a team. We do these things together. Listen, there is no one else I can fully trust to keep our home safe, Saya. It has to be you. Saya opens her mouth to protest again, but shuts it abruptly and closes her eyes tight as if she was about to say something that she would have regretted, and she seems as though she's struggling internally. Angelica's heart just sinks in her chest, and she goes to hold Saya, but her hand falters, and she pulls away. Eventually, her eyebrows soften, and she takes a deep breath and opens her eyes again. Misielo, are you back with me? Yes, Mira Samudra, I'm here. Sorry. No, it is completely on me. I just... No, it's not you. It's this. Everything that we're tangled up in. There's... There's a very strong part of me that wants to be involved in it. But that part of me is not in control. Not right now. Now Angelica takes her hand. You are a part of it. You and Kieran. You are giving me something to come back to. Angelica, we talked about this. You're not allowed to make me blush before noon. Really? Mm -hmm. Last I checked, I am your captain. <laughs> I am your wife. You can't tell me what to do. Oh, captain, my captain. And Saya pulls you in for a little bit of a deeper kiss. And she'll fish into her captain's coat, and she pulls out a little scarf, which Angelica has been embroidering in her spare time, or when her anxious hands needed something to focus on. Oh, what's embroidered? What does it look like? It's just clouds and waves intermingled. There's no other embellishment or designs in this instance. It's just the sea and the sky. It's the two of them. What have you got there? I'm not a metal worker, and we don't really do medals on this ship, but you've been amazing the past few days, and I've been wanting to give you this. She looks down at it and takes it gently in her hands. Saya is staring at the embroidery, gently rubbing one of the waves in her fingers. She stretches it out to see the whole scene, and then gently drapes it over her neck and ties it. And as she does so, she is wiping tears away from the corner of her eyes. It's beautiful, Mirzamut. Just like you. Saya, eres la capitana de mi corazón. 
Para siempre. I always figured I was first officer, but now I suppose it's official. Sometimes it's nice just to say things out loud. Even when you already know they are true. She brings you in for a really tight hug. One arm around your waist, the other at the back of your head. I love you. And I love you. Thank you. And she lowers her voice a little bit to whisper to you. Did you make one for Kieran too? I'm working okay, on something. Okay, How does you know that if he sees this and oh he doesn't God. get one, he's going to feel left out? Well, he shouldn't after this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'll keep the ship nice and safe. And I'll stop the world from ending. It should be simple, right? Oh, very simple. Yeah, of course. Well, if the world does end, can we both agree that I don't need to watch the ship anymore? I mean, if it's going to end, I want to watch it end from the deck of our ship, so... Oh, that's fair. We'd have front row seats. Hmm. We'll outrun any horizon coming for us. Of course. I'm the one who mans the sails. There she is. <laughs> Angelica, you now have the trusted companion advantage, which means that Saya has total agency over herself now. That's my wife. <laughs> she said the thing! <laughs> Roll the credits! <laughs> oh, I love it. Saya as wife. <laughs> <laughs> and as the camera transitions down the way again, we follow Wesley, who pokes his head in into the infirmary. Hi, Dola. I just came to give you the morning report. I know you were down there tending to Paco, and I needed to get the skinny on what was going on while you were down there. So, as we know, Ruby is now this big giant monster thing, which is really cool and really fun, but also a little bit terrifying. And Dr. McCoy was saying something about how Coco was very afraid of him, which is very weird to me because I didn't think a coconut could really be afraid of anything. But I suppose even coconuts can be afraid of big gods. Anyway, Ruby's no longer a big giant monster thing. She's now a little slasher shark again, and her teeth look great. I did take a look. She looks fine. Oh, the brothers are out there getting the salvage. Oh, and Amboise is back. But you knew that already. Yes. Thank you, Wesley. I'm away. And he moves to the next person to tell them any news they haven't heard already. Hello, that sweet boy. Hola, Wesley. Hi, Diego. What can I do for you? My brothers have uh, just came on board. Go tell them everything that there is to tell them. Aye, aye. I'm away. The camera stays in the infirmary with Diego and Dalla. After the captain met with us this morning, I know you were going on our away team and very excited to have you, of course. Typically, one of the things we like to do is write letters to our loved ones so that anyone remaining behind who survives, especially considering we have no idea where we are going. And it is very likely that they will have to take the ship and sail back and make some money that we... Uh, just got from the cargo. So if you have any letters, uh, I'm sure Paco can keep a good eye on it. Speaking of, who who do you trust to look after him while we're gone? It's a big responsibility. Well, I was thinking that there's really no one more qualified to take care of him than his brothers. I'm going to take some stuff with me, but obviously this place is well-stocked if anything were to happen I I trust them to change his bandages once a day and all that and keep him fed and keep an eye on him and keep him entertained so I figured before we leave I can bring them all in and 
walk them through everything, and I think they'll have it under control. Yeah, they'll keep a good eye on them. Any special equipment we should bring along with us? Any special weapons? Hmm. She'll kind of look down at her belt where she's always carrying some combination of tools and weapons and all that. I think I'm okay. I carry most of my stuff on me. Okay. I get crossbows, bucklers, we got some big swords and some axes. I know how you like your axes. (laughs) She's got an axe on her back, like sheathed. I think she'll kind of like pat the handle of it. I like the idea that she also has just a big fuck off hammer. She definitely has a mallet on her tool belt that can be used for construction and also... And deconstruction, you could say. Yes. Very good at both. Ah, yes. Deconstructed human. My favorite. (laughs) Hey, Dala. Mm Mm-hmm. As you're standing there talking to Diego, there's a pang in your head right at the temple, and you get a brief image of your dream, the figure standing in front of the tree, speaking that poem to you. There are runes carved in the bark of the tree. You only know of 12. There are 13 of them. That can't be good. I imagine if they're in any kind of pattern in like a circle or something, she would just immediately know that something's off and that there's too many. Yep. It's like a quick little headache. So I'll carry an extra axe and a mallet dart. Wait, are are you okay? Yeah, I just... You know that dream I told you about? With the, the tree? Yeah, usually people have wacky dreams, but that one seems normal, but in a weird way. It's like it, it just came back. And it, there was more. Just now. Well, write that down. She pulls out a notebook and starts it's like sketching it out. The tree in the, the circle of runes. I don't think she's drawing them exactly, but just kind of vague representations and then like a scribble for the 13th. That bottom one is weird. So she's got notebooks for everybody and they're like her little journals and they're the medical records. And then she's got some notebooks that are more for construction and for planning. And there's some on the ship and there's some like logs. And then she has her personal one that nobody touches because it's always on her. And she is flipping through it quickly and Diego can see that there are letters tucked away like she had taken loose paper and written letters on them and put them in between pages and if he's quick enough he can see that they say like dear mom, dear dad and they're just all in this notebook because she's never sent them (laughs) no! Brittany you can't just fucking say that you can't do that welcome (laughs) How dare My you? Heart. Brittany, you fucking got me. No. Oh. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> we had a group cry about Wesley earlier. It's okay. This is my revenge. She, she's never sent the letter. <laughs> Guys, I'm a sympathy crier. We can't do this. Oh, boy. All right. I'm a little sorry. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, you better be. You fucking better be. <laughs> news doll your dad's proud of you i know fuck off emory (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't see what any of it says but all he knows is it's to her family members 
and they're just tucked in in her diary in different times. It is mostly to her mom and like names that you would assume are siblings, and there's not that many to her dad. I think seeing a whole bunch of people who have the same last name is sufficient. So he'll wait until all of the dream pictures and dream notes get finished because you forget your dreams. And then once Dallas sort of finishes the last scratches on that 13th rune, puts the the quill down, Diego's going to look directly at her. Typically, we only write one letter before we go. If you have letters that you should be sending earlier to your family, you should be sending them earlier to your family. I appreciate that, Diego, but these are letters I can't send. They have to stay with me. I don't mean to pry, but if you have family, you should write to that family. I do. And someday, someday they might get them, but they can't have them yet. Well, I'm looking forward to another away mission. I think we had a good time on the last one taking out those ATC carriages. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be any ATC where we're going, but we'll see. We will see. Thank you, Diego. No, Dala, thank you for everything. <sighs> Do you guys want this knife back? It's got me right in the feels. <laughs> You've been stabbing me several times with it. I'll just, yeah, that, that one's mine. I'll just, just take I'll that, just please. take it back. <laughs> it slipped. You know how that happens? I'll just. <laughs> There's no crying in the ways. There's no crying in the ways. There's a lot of crying on the thorn, though. It happens all the time. You can cry in the ways. That's not a rule. What happens in the ways stays in the ways. <laughs> Cry in the ways, no one can see it because we all have our eyes closed. <laughs> cry in the ways, no one can hear you. Oh no! When you cry in the ways, everyone can hear you. Everyone can hear you, but no one can see it. All those shades know. Oh, oh they know. The shades know. Oh, they judge. <laughs> you go back to the ways, and all the shades are like, "Cry, baby." Are you back? <laughs> the delivery was so good. <laughs> They're really unnecessarily mean about it. You, you walk in, and one of them just goes like. Bitch. <laughs> oh, you need a tissue? Baby, want to go to baby jail? <laughs> I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to set you guys up. So I'm going to set the scene for you as we transition. Camera is peeking out of Franz, some kind of fern. And the camera gets a good view of the surroundings and the terrain. Nestled in the crook between two great mountains in Numa's north is one of the greatest enduring mysteries of Numa. An ancient city of wonders known only as the Lost City of the Gods. Or simply, the Lost City. The origin of which is of a thousand myths about ancient past of Numa and home to many harrowing dangers and staggering ruins. No one is sure how old the lost city truly is, nor who originally lived there. Legends state that it was originally the home of the gods, built for Terra and her children when they emerged from the caves to become the first mortals to walk the earth. 
Still others say it is a city of giants that were conquered by the ancient Numenari to claim the land. As the camera zooms in from a distance, we begin to see the massive architecture that is far too large to have been designed by mortals. Buildings tower overhead with ceilings four times the normal height. Complex stone arches with gorgeous mosaics of battles long past. Crumbling roads lead through the deserted city. The buildings a testament to the skill and civilization of its former inhabitants. And no one is sure what happened to those former people. But there are signs as you all are walking one of those ancient roads, as though the city was abandoned, left in a hurry. There are houses, small little huts, and as the camera peers in to follow Mallory, who is the most curious of all of you, we see a kitchen table with dishware still on it. We see the remnants of perhaps food we're not quite sure. As the camera turns to a different viewpoint, we watch Diego walk into what appears to be an ancient armory. He reaches with a gauntleted hand to one of the swords, and it just crumbles to ash. Angelica, you walk into what appears to have once been a observatory of sorts. There are old maps but the moment that you get near and your breath touches them, it ruins them. They are much too old to be touched or breathed on or tampered with at all. Dala, as you're walking, you notice the architecture the most because you're the shipwright. You can maybe take a guess that these were either built a very long time ago with very archaic means and I mean extremely archaic, ropes and pulleys and wheels, logs that are moved from one end to the front and then back and then back to cart these huge, massive pieces of stone. But even then, as you take a really good look at one of the archways, it is impossible for even one, even many such as yourself to have lifted that and held it there long enough to put it in place. Amboise, you've seen these pillars before. You've walked this road, at least briefly. You know that this place is more prominent in the ways. It crops up more often than not, as you recognize some of the mosaics. And some of those mosaics come to life in front of your eyes because you've seen the battles that took place. You continue walking because Tia is showing you the way. She doesn't allow you to linger too long. She doesn't allow you to lose yourself in the lost city. And as you get closer, past the houses, down into what may have very well been a market of sorts, you start to see modern signs of civilization. Tents, in awnings, and underneath croppings of rock. Archaeology equipment. Picks, shovels, digging implements. A small table with a crude map drawn on it. And all of this is also abandoned. 
but it was very recent. Tia continues on, again not allowing you to linger too long. You pass into a cave of sorts, and those pillars, still towering above you, are now holding up the earth above your head. And there are thousands of them, and they're all identical. Every pillar is exactly the same, carved out of the exact same stone, spaced at the exact same distance, holding up the exact same ratio of dirt, or stone, or whatever it is that is above you now, most likely the mountain. And as you delve deeper, you begin to hear picks striking rock, voices murmuring about the job, about the tree, and Tia stops you as you crest, I'd say a small little cliff for an awning, and tells you to be quiet. Because below you, in the small, almost valley of sorts, is the tree with the golden apples hanging from it, and a grave unearthed beneath its roots. And all around it are people excavating it. Some of them are in normal wear shirt, some trousers. They're digging. Others are dressed in the coats of blue and white, and they are overseeing the work. And still others are dressed in gambolsons and leathers and plate, and they are heavily armed. One such bold soul with camera zooms in and watches as he uncovers something perhaps a piece of clay pot, but they pick it up and they look to their left and right and they go to stow it in their coat and they are stopped by a guard. The piece is ripped from their hand and a gauntlet strikes them across the face and they go sprawling into the dirt. The guard speaks in Numenari, which I don't think any of you know. And the camera shifts its viewpoint to zoom back into the alcove where all of you are waiting. Mallory, you hear the translation in your head. Only the water is taken. Nothing else. Our bed is at the tree. What are you going to do about them? Don't worry, Tiamat. You're not the only one we're going to put in the ground today. Diego's just cracking his knuckles. Dala pulls her axe from off of her back. And for the camera, as always, Amboise looks perfectly normal as he surveys the scene below. Mallory tucks something gold and shiny into their inner coat pocket. (laughs) And we cut to black. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know better with me. Of course there had to be a cliffhanger there. Literally. (laughs) I got him that time, Greg. I'm sorry. We'll see you next time, friends. And remember, be safe and well.